gentlemen thank you for tuning in to another episode of the 757 renaissance man podcast this episode is a long time coming i am here with my big brother and hold let me get let me get it right dr john lewis how are you doing sir well, my friend, well, my friend, you're doing well, brother. How about yourself? This is great. I can't stop smiling because our history is so deep, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. So, so that is the crazy part about it is that uh, this is the evolution of what we were doing back at, at age, you know, in the eight 80s. and ten, right, right, in the eighties, right, in the eighties. You know, you know, people talk about eighties babies. I mean, we were we were teching it up with gaming platforms and stuff like that. You know, I had an Odyssey too. You're like, well, let me throw that back. I'm gonna show you. I got an Odyssey one. And I was like, oh shoot, I didn't even know they made one. <laughs> so you're like, I got a pocket. I'm like, I got a pocket too. Like, oh shoot. So this is incredible, man. This is us. Uh, this is uh, definitely a game recognized game. You know, we, yeah, we are. Man. It's good to be here and good to be here with you specifically on this platform. So you, we were black nerds before we realized what black nerds were. Right. right. And I'm talking yeah. about five, six years old together. Absolutely. Like I remember, like you brought up the Odyssey, but then I remember when I got the Nintendo and then you was like, well, I got the Sega Genesis. <laughs> No, even hold on, it even goes back before that. I had Atari twenty six hundred and then you got the fifty six hundred. <laughs> it was so so it was like people didn't even have platform wars where we were having platform right. wars, right? It, wasn't, it didn't <laughs> even like, exist. It didn't exist. <laughs> oh man. And that, that's so but you know that that that's isn't that what it is though? Isn't that isn't that the history of our people that you know that we were next level before anybody else knew right, about it, right? Right. Before you like, know, like we saw the whole progression of the video game industry. It wasn't even an industry back then. Right. It was just, you know, it was it was really incredible because I remember what you brought up was uh you're like, hey, I got that at home. Odyssey, they make this. I said, oh yeah, what? And you're like, you had Pong. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Pong was the, you know, that was the the quintessential, that was the first video game that people were playing at home on their TVs. And you look into what has evolved to then, and you and I were just kind of a early adopters. That's the term mm-hmm. that we use today, right? We were on that, uh, the, on the leading edge of gaming technology and actually home computers. We were programming back yeah. in those days too, before we talked about STEM and all those things. And yet, if you read the narrative, you would believe that people like you and I didn't exist. Right. And it's okay. So I'm glad you brought that up. I, I go back to our childhood and we were extremely blessed because we came up in the late eighties, early nineties, when the whole narrative was, you know, there are no black male figures in the house. Right. You know, everybody's in the hood doing crack. Right. And I was like, no, I had a whole community of black men to look up to. Absolutely. Not just my father. I had your father. I had a church full of men doing things that were either in the military, worked for the shipyard, 
um, right. you know, had their own businesses. And so I, it was hard for me to, to, I went through like a identity crisis a little bit because it's harder. Like, this is what they say it's supposed to be, but this isn't what it is. Right. And then we got to think about our parents personally, like right. my dad and your mom together, just them. We're not even talking about the other parents or the other, my dad and your mom, your mom influenced me a lot and my Correct. dad influenced you a lot. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so, so that is the narrative that, that these platforms and, and, and podcasts and now people amplifying black voices allows us to rewrite. You know, you know, we talk about the 1619 project as if critical race theory and all these things are brand new. No, they, they, these stories are old. We're just telling them to the masses now. Mm -hmm. You and I lived these stories where we had strong black figures in our churches, in our households, who told us an alternative history beyond that you were, mm -hmm. you know, you were in Africa, you were a slave, Abraham Lincoln's freedom, and there was Martin Luther King. We knew our stories were richer than that. So your dad if you allow me to, you know, give him, you know, his shine was the first black health professional I ever knew. It wasn't even a question like, uh, you know, oh, could you do this and stuff? Could you not do this? Your dad was a commissioned officer and was in the, you know, health corps or, or, or whatever the, uh, the, the division was at that time, you know, in the 1970s. And that was unheard of, but it was enough to make it a tangible a living thing. Well, I'm like, oh shoot, I can grow up. You like, I can grow up. I can go into science. Mm -hmm. I can be going to medicine. I can be because your pops had done it. Mm -hmm. We had to stop thinking that black people are this monolithic group that you know we have one story, one narrative, one outcome. We knew people in all industries. We knew pro athletes, yeah. guys who went to high school with us, mm -hmm. but we also knew, like I said doctors, lawyers. We also had school teachers, brothers that were in the classroom. Mr. Parker, shout out to the guys yeah. at Deep Creek. You know, we had a, I'm going to use this. I'm going to flip this. We came from a place called Camelot, mm -hmm. a land of kings and queens. Mm -hmm. That's where we grew up. We grew up in a place of roughly, roughly a thousand households of working class, middle class, and some even upper middle class. To black get a family. History on that, right. Camelot wasn't meant for us. We took Camelot over. So the two sides of one coin. Let's 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 break it down. Let's chop it up as you like to say. Let's break it down. So there are two sides of two, of, of the coin of America that uh, that changed the complexion and sometimes the wealth and health outcomes of our society. This is what what I I came to Emory University as an emergency physician to kind of integrate into health. Mm -hmm. It is colonization. It is then settlement mm -hmm. it is then from that point on segregation right integration mm -hmm. then you have this phenomenon called blockbusting redlining mm -hmm. white flight all of those things speak to the physical narratives of geography that have happened in america in the last 400 years mm -hmm. each one of those phenomena cannot live without the other they're not all healthy. They're not all whole. Our neighborhood was one of those things. It was a suburb of Norfolk, Virginia. Chesapeake eventually became his own city. Seven, mm -hmm. five, seven, stand up, That's two up, right. two down. Two up, two down. <laughs> but it was still plagued with some of the history of this neighborhood is for this group of people. This neighborhood mm -hmm. is for this group of people. 
you know, that's how the, the country was settled. We moved people out and took the desirable lands. And eventually, because of merit, because of conscience, because of policy, we allowed other people who were often weren't desired or displaced to move back in. But that did not prevent those other counter mechanisms or those reactions such as white flight. So we we grew up in a neighborhood during a time where integration was hot. That was a new thing. They're moving us back in. They're allowing us to have opportunities to buy homes in areas that were primar primarily excluded from us. What happened from that point on, there was an egress of a certain group of people. Mm -hmm. And we, we filled the spaces. Nature abhors a vacuum. So whenever something leaves, something comes in. Yeah, <laughs> whenever yeah. someone leaves, we fill that space. The greatness about that is that we lived in a place that was uh, very much influenced by the military, and the military had already set a standard for integration mm -hmm. into the masses for a multicultural diaspora. That's what the United States military did, for good or for bad. It brought people in, took over lands, and allowed those people to come in and be a part of that country. And Hampton Roads looked like that. So our neighborhood was actually just a symptom or a byproduct of all those mechanisms happening at the same time. Some of it was for the bad, and you're in our, my uh story it was for the good yeah. it worked out good for us mm -hmm. yeah i didn't like when people say you know i grew up in the hood well that means a totally different thing for us it does because our hood wasn't what you see in minister society right our right. hood was we grew up we all grew up in um single family homes right. and one of the great things about i can't speak to how camelot is now but our community was so deep where, you know, we could roam the neighborhood and we could right. have those adventures because right. you knew, my mom knew if I was on your side of Camelot, your mom was look out for me and vice versa. Right. right. I was doing right. something I wasn't supposed to do. And we, I think we we're the last of that type of generation where by the time I got home, it got home before I did. Right, right. You know, you, you had a hot plate of Acrite waiting for you. <laughs> Like, yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. If, if you, because your mom will snatch me up too. <laughs> right. That's what I'm saying. So you know, the, and that was the, um, that was a a golden era, and just not to wax nostalgic, but it, it it was a golden era where there was accountability in community, mm -hmm. right? And I I have the same when I do some of my uh, my public talks that uh, community is cost effective. You don't have to worry about babysitters. You don't have to worry about childcare. You don't have to worry about daycare. All those things are interwoven in a tight community. Mm -hmm. You don't have to outsource or spend those things. And we benefited from that. You know, when you came and spent the day at my crib and we're playing games or we riding bikes and stuff, nobody was paying anybody to watch somebody, right? Right. right. If we went, if we took that little bike mission to someplace else. Nobody was paying anybody to watch. And shout yet out, there was just- Shout out to Devil's Mountain. <laughs> yeah, Devil's Mountain behind Camelot. Yeah, behind the elementary school. Nobody was watching us, but there was an accountability. There were row of homes back there. People would see, they're like, oh yeah, that's Sean and John, or that was Walson and whoever. You know, everybody knew everybody's kids. Mm -hmm. And there was a richness in that that you didn't, you couldn't pay for even if you had to put a dollar sign on it. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's so cost effective. My kids are very jealous of our childhood because, you know, we, I still rock with people that were in kindergarten with me. I believe it. I believe it. And that's kind of how our neighborhood was. Like, right. we had a school. It was Camelot Elementary School. Everybody went there. But we also were one of the last generations where the teachers that taught in our school lived in the neighborhood. 
And right. that made a real big difference. And we all came up and, you know, yes, we're in a military transit town, town where people came and people go. But for the most part, out of the 25 kids in my in my um, kindergarten class, I still rock with 10 of them at least. Right. Right. So shout out to Mr. Deborah. Uh, yeah. Black science teacher, well ahead of his time. Shout yeah. out to Miss Connors. Yep. Shout out to and you know, uh, Ms. you know, Miss Valentine just passed. Oh no, no, rest in peace to Valerie Valentine. Yeah. Uh, uh, it is a. Uh, oh, no, oh, we we forgetting um, um, the kindergarten teacher, Miss Norfleet. Oh, Miss Norfleet, yes, yeah, like yes. all these teachers lived in the neighborhood. Absolutely, Miss Walden to your Miss Walden, my yeah. mama and Miss Walden. Oh, they still bringing up stuff I did back in the day. Yeah, you know, you know, Tony and I were in band, you know, till we finished. Uh -huh. It is, and for the people who are like, what are they talking about? We're talking about people in your neighborhood. Uh, that, and I'm going to spin off. Uh, there's a series coming out of my podcast. I'm going to want to link to. You know, don't you know your hood? Mm -hmm. And it is important to recognize the pillars of your community, mm -hmm. and to spend time listening to their stories because they help us evolve as a larger community. Mm -hmm. They help us learn from their victories and as well as their defeats. And these are people in our community who did that for us. They were people who taught us lessons of life beyond just the textbook. Mm -hmm. so, so we're shouting out this, this Hall of Fame. That's what we're doing. We're running the roll call. Right. And these are people who made me and you be who we were. Right. If it weren't for these people, they may not be a Dr. John Lewis. Right. Absolutely. You Absolutely. Know? And uh, that's to what? see the people actually live and breathe in your neighborhood, it, it, it's a certain amount of currency that they added that is, like you said earlier, it's priceless. It is. Um, I, I often look back and uh, wish I could thank people that probably are no longer with us, you know, and I said probably. Uh, uh, I don't know where they are because I've lost touch. Mm -hmm. Uh, some of them may be uh, around, and, I, and I've gone back to, like, some of my high school teachers. I remember uh, when I was going into med school, just to give you a short story, uh, Dolores Ure, E-U-R-E, mm -hmm. e -E, she was my uh, English teacher. She had been there generations, taught us. When I finished Morehouse down in Atlanta and was applying to med school, they said, have an English teacher read your personal statement. And who was there to read my personal statement but my uh, high school honors English teacher, mm -hmm. this sister, who had finished, I believe, Norcom back in the days, had come through, grown up in the area, was still giving back to the community. I didn't pay her for that. She was just invested in the well-being and then my future and the future of us as a whole. That she sat there, she looked through, she critiqued it. It was a, a moment that was, I could never pay anybody to do that. Mm -hmm. This is the lady looking at my entrance application to go into med school. Somebody that maybe four years before she invested in and that I am still reaping the benefits from now some 30 years afterwards. That kind of stuff is powerful, man. Mm -hmm. and, and I think there's a, a, a moral obligation for us to do the same. You and I are trying to do the same thing. You mentioned mm -hmm. you know, your daughter. I mentioned my kids uh, in previous podcasts. I do. It is our moral obligation to not be containers, but conduits to allow what people poured into us to flow through to that next generation. And so this, this, this conversation is just that we're pouring into another group of, uh, they're going to come behind us and hopefully uh, amplify this message even louder. And that's one of the reasons I do this because this is my way of acknowledging our history, especially with the whole 757 Renaissance, man. I want you to know 
you know, some of the history of where you came from. Because I find that as we get older, that's one of the things that we are lacking. And, you know, I just shifted it to a different medium. You know, writing isn't really my thing. But I can do a podcast and have this podcast live on forever, and you can go back and get that history. So you right. can't ever say nobody ever told you. Right. Right. So the editorials and the newspapers and the manifestos of uh, maybe 150 years ago are what podcasts, blogs, uh, mm -hmm. platforms are today, social media. You know, the, uh, the ink and the papyrus has changed, but the message remains the same. These are just as we call them. They're media. They are basically conduits. They are things to hold a message, but they are really not the message in themselves. This message has to live on about the importance of uh, our history, the importance of history, period. I mean, you know, that that is, I think, man's worst subject. People like say, I'm not good at math. I submit to you as a whole, we're horrible at history <laughs> because we keep forgetting the lessons learned. The history, right, right. right. And trying to make it, the history fit in your agenda instead right. of it being the history. Right. So you and I are here right now trying to preserve that, knowing that... Uh, that's vital, vital to the future. You know, past this prologue, they say, is that what has happened before will happen again. So you and I have to make sure that that is multidirectional, not that just the bad that has happened before has a potential to happen again, but the good that's happened before has to be potentiated to happen again. And that only happens when people know the history. Uh, as my uh, brothers and sisters of the Five Percent Nation used to say, knowledge yourself. Mm -hmm. We have to have a knowledge of self. If you know, as you and I are Christians, you know, as a man thinketh, and we'll say that as a woman thinketh, so she is. So when you know who you are, it is self-determinant. It helps you become that which you may not be at the time because you have a knowledge of it. And history is what facilitates that. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. So it was no way in the world we could have this conversation and not bring up Camelot. <laughs> it was no, because Camelot is a huge part of what made Absolutely. us who we are. Absolutely. And a lot of other people. And, you know, we're going to talk about it later, but what up, Watson? What up, Steve? Bo Steve? <laughs> we were the Black Nerd Collective back in the day. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I brought, I said that to say, I want to thank you, because I never have publicly said this, but you were a huge role model to me. And I always felt that I knew John Lewis was the smartest person in the room. I was just trying to be in the room with him, you know, and we're going to toot your horn. We got to toot your horn. First of all, tell the people how old you were when you graduated. Uh, from high school or yeah, from, from high, uh, school. high school? I was, uh, I think, 17. How old were you when you graduated from college the first time? Uh, so I graduated from college, I believe. I finished early, so I believe I was uh, 20. Yeah. I did, I did three, three and a half, three yeah. and a half years. And grade point average? Oh, shoot. You gave me like 3.5, I think. I think I was right in the middle, 3.5. I was right in the middle. I'll be honest with you. I, 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 uh, I don't consider myself the smartest guy in the room. I consider myself blessed with a few talents that have allowed me to uh, have a wealth of experiences that I can probably share with others. One of those talents is that I, uh, I, I, I find my... My memory is probably a little more keen than the average memory, so it's allowed me to remember things very keenly. 
And that's just a blessing I have. There's nothing that I that John, I have. two though, John, two though. I gotta say this, John. man. I, I've I've had I've had uh, I'm to a certain degree relatable and likable. And when you're relatable or likable, people are willing to give you information that they otherwise wouldn't share. So it, it, that's it, man. I, I I'm I'm not I'm that no is more exactly what the smartest person would say. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. I am not. I've uh, I've been afforded. So we I've been about, afforded the opportunity we, we to bump against people. Techno technological bond we had okay sure but sure. you were the first person i knew that skipped grades in school no no i didn't so this let me let me let me let me, let me demystify this okay. so when i when i was in elementary there was this program that they would test a handful of us and i'm gonna mm -hmm. shout out some of the people uh peace to uh uh melvin moore mm -hmm. peace to tommy tillman uh there were a handful of others uh king and starkey mm -hmm. uh Renee uh, and Renard Rose, these are people that may and may not bump into this podcast, uh, depending on where they are in the world now. Um, they took us and they saw that we had maybe a gift. Like I said, my memory was was pretty good. I was precocious in a lot of uh, things, academia. And you were a product of this too, so don't let don't let you let the slip. Coming, that, uh, that's coming. We, we, we were we were the we were the test group. Uh -huh. uh, we were the test group and they were like, could you take children who are have done well and just test them out where they don't need to do certain great stuff? And they did that. They did that. They moved us between from second, I believe, to third grade. So I was the youngest in my class, and a lot of us would do that. The equivalent though, they didn't standardize it. So they kept us in our same grade. They just kept advancing us in math books. So when we were in third grade, we were doing fourth grade math books and textbooks, and they just kept expanding that. But my grade never changed. So I was still a second grader, but I was doing third grade, all of the stuff in third grade. I was sitting in class with the third graders. But my official graduating time was still on, on par. But we were the test group, and there were a handful of us that went through the gifted and talented program. They call it GATE. Mm -hmm. We were the experiment. You were the actual thing. Right. Right. Okay. So that's what I wanted to so get you, into. You were the real. So we, I my generation, like I was chasing you because of some, because of that. No, we, so we were the experiment. You went through the experiment when it was my turn because I was always a year or two behind you. When it was my turn, it was an actual physical. School, it's a program, right? right. Where they took us right. out of class, right. and that's what fed my um, IT career. Honestly, that's what started my IT career. Because they would take us out of school and then we would do stuff like we would work with scripting and programming for an hour or two every day. Right. We had advanced science classes every day and then they'll bring us back to school where we'll finish out our day. And that's what started me and my father. And the funny thing is, wow. my, so my father was doing it like I this little dude is not going to out learn, know something that I don't know nothing about. So he put all his time, effort, and his hobbies into IT. Now, back then, okay. this is like 89, maybe, where a computer would cost you well over $2,000. Right. That was the equivalent of a calculator today. <laughs> right. Right. Real talk. <laughs> but because of that, he went through it. He was self-taught. And, you know, a lot of people benefited from that education because he helped bring the church, our, the church we grew up in, Absolutely. into modern technical um, space. And he helped a lot of people. So that, that education not only helped me, it helped a whole community of other people by just sowing the seed into that one, well, actually two kids, me and you. Right. 
so yeah, so you you had so I remember that. So you were that group. You and uh there was a uh, another Daryl young man. Gary. Yeah, Daryl Gary. Mm -hmm. Daryl Gary. Daryl Gary. And there was one more. What was Melvin's last name? Melvin was a year behind me. You guys were the actual proof of concept. You, you know, you, you were actually the actual kids that they took out said this program works we're going to skip you we're going to put your head in those things and that was the beauty of that type of investment in people mm -hmm. in that type of investment in children regardless of what they look like so i i i didn't you know i didn't skip i just had the opportunity to uh, to use my talents and with no bounds to a certain degree. Now there were caps to that. When I got to junior high, they put a hold on that and then we got trapped and there's a whole lot of things. And that's another conversation for another podcast because you realize policy of race and racism, even when you try to do things in the best interest of children are only so powerful and are fleeting and limited. They, mm. they, they are not panaceas, meaning they aren't the answer for all things that oppress a group of people and remove opportunity. So while those things were beneficial, there were other things that were still in place in our community and in our schools that, that were not beneficial and it kind of undid some of that stuff. Mm. And, you know, and I, and I still see the repercussions of that today. Speaking of which, um, now, uh, I, I've kind of, uh, embrace that idea of what it means to to remove barriers policies that are barriers to people's success and wealth and health and well-being and to actually endorse and to advocate for those things because i realized those are those are just as important and as powerful as school as education, as as all these things that we think make people advance, you got to actually be on the front line saying this law has to change. This policy has to change. It's not fair that these kids at this school have this despite the school being integrated, but it being redlined to a certain district where they don't get the funding as the, the neighborhood school just mm -hmm. across the street. I remember Great Bridge, Western Branch. Mm -hmm. During our times, those schools were getting, you know, different youth resources and we're utilizing different things that our school didn't have a deep Creek. Right. And it was very much weighted on the social economics of and historical policies of race. Nobody likes to talk about that, but I look back at it now, the way Camelot being predominantly black mm -hmm. looked compared to some of our counterparts in great bridge, those right, elementary right. schools. And, and you, I, you see that stuff I still today. Think about, you know, I think we were blessed too because we were so close to deep Creek. Like if we were just Camelot, what would our high school look like? Right. And we got the benefit from uh, a lot of the other communities around us with our school system. Like, right. you know, I went to high school with people who turned out to be like governor's kids. And, yeah. you know, so we got certain benefits that I don't think we may not have gotten if it was Camelot High School. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because we actually, we literally had to cross the tracks to go to high school. Absolutely. Even though we grew up in a successful middle-class neighborhood, there still was segmentation. Right. So you 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 saw G.A. Treacle and Camelot on one side of the tracks. Mm -hmm. These are two high schools that were uh, predominantly black, uh, some working class uh, uh, whites, and a uh, large Filipino uh, population also that I you know have to shout out as mm -hmm. well. And then you had another side that was a little more rural, African-American, but then you had this wealthy enclave of old money. Mm -hmm. I went to school with people who were descendants of George Washington. They had mm -hmm. 
large swaths and plots of land inherited from that acquisition of colonialism. And when you mix those things, opportunities is this uh, almost exchange of ideas and concepts that you would not have been exposed to in these really siloed, insulated, segregated environments that were, you know, kind of prior or your and my generation. So that is, that's a success story that you, you know, the success story of integration is when you put people around others that they would not have an opportunity to experience. And that's just not financially and academically. That goes to a whole lot of movements. There's an opening of the mind, your mm-hmm. third eye, the mind's eye. And so, so that being said and done, I know we got a guest coming on so i i, I want to um, continue this conversation but uh yeah, she, I, I got a sister that's wings. gonna do this yeah so do, 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 you're driving but i just i don't want to halt the mic all right so what are we gonna do and since you're a podcaster yourself i'm gonna bring her on and you give her the, the, the introduction how about that okay then all right all right here she goes welcome Hi, sis. how are you doing hello there i'm doing well so i'm gonna introduce you so there is a movement that is actually ancient, as old as uh, human beings are themselves. And we are now just rediscovering it. We've been focusing on history and the importance of history. So I'm going to tell you that uh, once again, past is prologue. And once again, what has happened before will happen again. So that history is who you're witnessing with us as this third uh, member of this uh, roundtable discussion. It is the good doctor, Chitty MD. And this is what we call her. We call her the queen for queens. <laughs> and the reason I say history is important because black girl magic is something that you people are like, oh, that's new. That ain't new. No, <laughs> it's no. always been Definitely not. <laughs> not new. But she is our addition to this longstanding history of black girl magic. My, 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 my co-podcaster, my co-sister on the front lines of emergency medicine and critical care, hailing from Queens, New York, by way of Nigeria, who now holds it down in Philadelphia, Philly, at UPenn in emergency medicine. She will be joining us. And Chitty, welcome, sis. I just wanted to throw you out there because this is this man right here that you're seeing. This is your, our version of Tony Stark's Iron Man. <laughs> he is a, a man. He's a techie, a technocrat that has literally an artificial heart. He's an LVAD patient. He's a genius in his own right. I couldn't find a more powerful synergy to team up superheroes in this case, you know? And so you tell them who you are for your own sake. I gave you a little introduction, just to introduce my 757 crowd home to who you are and why you're here with us today. (laughs) But, but tell them who you are, where you're from and what you do now. Yeah. Like you gave me, thank you for the introduction. Thank you. Spam. (laughs) Hi Sean, nice to meet you. Hey, how you doing? Yes. (laughs) Bullet, bullet. All right. So, um, like, John said, I hail from Queens, New York. I do live in Philadelphia now. Um, my, my full name is Chittima Wakama. Um, I'm an emergency medicine doctor in Philadelphia. I was trained in New York. Um, I recently got married, so my last name is now Tricky. I'm going through the process of trying to change my last name, but keep it professionally, but change it socially, and it's kind of tricky. My you wife guys don't have to think about that. My wife didn't even do it. She just left it the way it is. I mean, I, I, yeah, I know. Most people are like, don't do it. But right. it means a lot to my husband. So I'm like, all right, let me change my name. But because I've done a lot with my maiden name, I'm kind of like, all right, I got to keep this so that for continuity. But I'm going through the process. But yeah, I'm so happy to be here. I asked John, I was like, all right, what are we going to talk about? So I can like try to get myself together. He was like, everything. Right, so, right. 
Yeah, so I was like, all right, I can rock with that. So I'm really happy to be here. I see you got the brick wall. I got the brick wall. Yeah, but I got a feeling your your brick might be a little bit realer than mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, my brick didn't come for the rock core. It came for Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I see that. I see it. So Chitty, nice. let me yeah. tell you, uh, let me just break break this out there. So uh, so you two guys are are always stunting on me. So whenever I do something, Chitty's always one and up one up in me. So. Uh, it, Whenever, you know, we take pictures, Chitty's got this like, you know, Bride magazine spread. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, my my pictures don't look like that. Whenever I do something tech, you know, Sean's got this, you know, layout that looks like, you know, he's going to, you know, like Bernie Man or like he's at Coachella and stuff with the full board and laid out. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, my my, my sound setup don't look like that. So uh, so I'm I'm playing, I'm playing sidekick to you two today. I'm just letting you know, that's where it is. <laughs> now, I, I just got through telling him how I am who I am because I constantly felt like I was chasing him. So for him to hear him say that has me all kinds of just. <laughs> so, all right. So I want you guys to talk about your podcast, but let me tell you, let me say you are also, you started before I did and you, like you were saying how my dad made certain things real to you. You made it real to me. Like, Oh, that's attainable. I can do this. But the one thing I love is how you guys are a group of doctors, medical professionals. You come from all diverse backgrounds, but you keep it 100% real. Just the fact that I feel like your, your um, podcast is hip hop relatable. <laughs> That, you know, so that breaks it down for a lot of people that could come at it in a real way. Like, so one of the reasons I started the LVAD podcast was because I went through this and I did my research. And John, you know how we do. We, we research everything. Right. And Maybe was, too much. Right. <laughs> it was hard for me to find somebody that can truly speak to me, most importantly, in a non-medical way. Yeah. And it was impossible for me to find somebody that looked like me to speak to me in that way. So I felt the need for that. And it basically allows other people with LVADs, no matter what their breakdown, what their race, what their upcoming is, to come tell their story and how they deal with and handle life with either LVAD or a, um, or a heart transplant. And listening to your guys podcast was made me be like, that's feasible. And mm -hmm. the realness you brought from. So I don't know if John told you this, I'm about to bring out some secrets. <laughs> me and John go back to like five years old. <laughs> <laughs> me and John Walson and his brother, Steve had a rap group back in the day. Oh, were you a part of the rap group? Yes. So you're in that picture with the gun. No, that's so that that's the, that's my college group. So yeah. I, 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 you, you, you was doing Beyonce. Yeah. I'm, I'm gang affiliated, so I got all these connections. <laughs> so I got all these like familiars. Switching in, switching in the members. Okay. So no, he, he he's right. We were part of a hip hop, hip -hop group collective, a even bigger collective actually. Yeah, because it, it spawned off to be multiple groups. Wow. And I really think we were way ahead of our time. Because if that would have happened five years later, 
Mm-hmm. It would have been different. Like we, um, I had, we at one time had a small local record deal. But oh. we were before our time. And, but we were deep. This is back in deep consciousness of rap. <laughs> <laughs> the rap group was called Life. Love it. Living in full effect. Full effect. Yes. <laughs> and, and it started in, uh, uh, do you remember? You talking about you talking about church at New Hope? Yeah, it started. At, we went to a Christian retreat called Eagle Lowry. Eagle Lowry, oh my yes. gosh, this is embarrassing, bro. <laughs> this is... And they had an open mic, and well, so Eagle Lowry is this real, especially at that time, progressive uh, retreat for you know people's. I think it was like the Southern Baptist Leadership right. Council. That's it. And we would go to this mountain in the middle of Virginia. And there was nothing around. There were, I think it used to be an old college or something. So there was dorms and stuff. Cool. And you got a, it's 50, 60 churches. And sent That's all the kids. Sent all the kids. It was fun. Up there. It was fun. Oh, yeah. It was really fun. Because we didn't realize it gave us the confidence to even step out and do an open mic. And we tore it down. And then we came home. was like, we got to do something with this. And, yeah, we did. That was the, that was that was one of the starts and peace, peace to, yeah peace to uh rob pool uh rest in power brother yeah, who was bro. actually a part of that original collective uh harold pool uh walson williams there were a whole lot of people who are uh, jason gray and that was the start i wasn't i wasn't on the mic chitty at that time i was on the mic i was a spectator i was a closet rapper oh. I, 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 was, I was a closeted <laughs> mc they didn't know that i had you know I, they didn't know you had bars. We they didn't know I had bars back then. We knew. They didn't know. They didn't know. And then, he, we always say he was the mastermind behind a lot of stuff, <laughs> but he was he was laid back. He was very laid back. But so, it, it, talking about earlier how things go in full circle, when I saw your podcast and saw how you had um, put hip hop in it, I was like, yeah, yeah, that's John. <laughs> That's all him. I mean, I, they had kind of collected, um, cause I'm in Philadelphia. So the other two members, um, Jawad and Chris, they all work together in Atlanta. And so Jawad and I went to residency together. So we're really close friends. And he's like, yo, this is our ticket out. This is our ticket out. This is our ticket out. I'm like, what is it? And he's like, we're going to do this podcast. And he's telling me all about it. And I'm like, yo, that's dope. Like, the music part and then the hip hop and then the black culture and the brown culture and then the medicine. It just made so much sense to me. I was like, you guys need a woman. You need a woman. You need a woman. And then he was like, oh, you're right. He's like, let me talk to them and see what they say. And they were like, yeah, come on. Cause I'm like, how are you going to have three guys? Like where's the female perspective? And like everything that he was saying resonated so much with me that I was like, yo, I have to be a part of this. And it was just like, was very, like our first podcast, I didn't even know them really. And we just got on the mic and like all of us just kind of meshed and the personalities mesh. We all have really distinct, different personalities and it really just meshed. And I, I'm really happy that I had the opportunity to know them and have, happy that I have the opportunity to like share a platform with them because I really believe in what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And I think that we can have like a really huge uh, reach and influence. So I'm happy that you listened. Yeah, yeah. 
Like before so, I was even thinking about doing a podcast. That's so good. Yeah. So that's cool. That's cool, brother, that we inspired you. And 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 now really probably uh just looking at how fast you've grown, you probably outreached us now. So this is why this is important to to give back to one another because yeah. uh there's no reason that we can't collaborate. You know, people like to use the crabs in the barrel mm-hmm. uh phenomena. I, I don't subscribe to that. Yeah. You know, I did. It, you know, people have always been detractors. That's nothing new. And I don't think that's unique to our people or any other one group of people. Mm-hmm. At the same time, though, if you're going to talk about reaching back, or you may be thinking somebody's reaching back to pull you down. Sometimes they're reaching back to get a hand up. We got to look at the perspective. What side on that crab in the barrel uh, mentality? Or is that crab reaching back to trying to pull somebody down? Right. Is it, are you holding on to my leg? Or are you holding your leg because you're trying to get up to? Right. And I see this as us trying to pull one another up. So, uh, Salute to you giving us our, our props for just inspiring you. And I'm going to be honest with you, this is like the Fugees. Chitty is our, I'm our Wycliffe John right at this point. Chitty's going to be our uh, Lauren Hill. She's going to break off. And I'm going to be like, yeah, I remember back in the days. <laughs> oh, <Chitty."> please. <laughs> People like, megastar. And the rest of us are going to be on the sidelines. Oh, like, please. Yeah. I remember when she wasn't even in the group. You know, we right, started there. It was right. just us. <laughs> Uh, but don't get mad because Wyclef oh, is doing his thing now, so it's okay. No, no, it's all good. It's all good. And in, in, in all honesty, man, this is uh, this is Chitty was right. It, it, this is our podcast is a open table, and I'm gonna do this right now because it's, it's Pride Month for some. And you know, as a Christian, uh, you know that's a that's a celebration that doesn't enter into my church space mm-hmm. very yeah. well. Most of us are intersectional. That's a con- a term that we use is that we cross many spaces and we are a part of multiple demographics. But as a part of my evolution and, and, and messaging and health and, and, and my walk in faith, I got to say this is that I now have attuned my ear to hearing the cry of human beings, mm-hmm. whether they change their outward appearance, whether they look like me, whether they talk like me, whether they sound like me, whether they vote like me. And our podcast is a really a table in the tradition of someone who walked 2000 years ago, who sat with people that no one else would sit with, who touched people that no one would lay a hand on, who actually were willing to speak a voice that was sometimes not well heard or, or accepted. That's what our podcast is. It's couched in hip hop. It's couched in medicine. But these are just, you know, small fashions of it. The idea is that we will have a table that we can hear all voices and we don't always have to agree to recognize one's humanity. We don't all have to look the same to recognize one's right to live healthily, right right to live in spaces where they're not threatened and they're not harmed. I don't have to co-sign everything you do. You better not co-sign everything I do because everything I do is not necessarily healthy either. But we need to be able to sit and listen to that. So we're going to and and we're actually going to focus on our next uh, series of podcasts or we've done this before. A lot of people that you otherwise wouldn't have listened to. There is no transgender movement in hip hop that is really visible, but there are voices that need to be heard. And just because you don't agree with them doesn't mean you don't have to listen. You can't listen to them. So it's funny you brought that up. Um, I just recently did an interview with a young man who um, he has a a great podcast. Shout out to Michael Munoz, and his podcast is called the In Your Mouth Podcast, hmm. and he is a um, gay. Uh, Puerto Rican, um, he says he don't want to be called a chef, but cook, but okay. chef. And his podcast is about, you know, 
uh, in that space and all of those spaces. And we had a great talk. And one of the reasons I have an association of other podcasters that uh, my peers that I kind of learn from and we all, you know, have this, this meeting of the minds every morning. And he's part of that. And my daughter listens to it with me. And he got up and spoke one day and she was like, Daddy, that's who I want to talk to. That's what I want you to talk to, because that's something we need to know about. And she was, she was quite honest. It was like, Daddy, that's something you need to know about. Wow. And I was like, you're right. You're right. So I, I, I subscribe to that. And I find that, you know, I may not accept everything, but I do believe everybody needs to be able to express themselves and have that type of platform. So, and you never, and to me, it was one of the best interviews I ever had. Right. And, and I take that back because I don't like to say that my podcast is about interviews. I like to say it's about conversations. Mm-hmm. But it was one of the best conversations I had. And one of the things um, we, we spoke about was the similarities between the black community and the gay community and what that looks like as far as discrimination. Mm-hmm. And you'll right. be surprised. It's different, but it's the same. And you don't know that until you listen. Mm-hmm. You don't know that until you sit beside a person. That is why this is important. That is why Chitty and, and I could probably wax prolific about being emergency physicians. Chitty is in Philadelphia, another bustling urban environment. And, I, and she's, she's a New Yorker. Mm-hmm. New Yorker. Yeah. New Yorker, sorry. I'm thinking, no, what I was there, I was, miss, oh I was missing up right. New York. I was missing up New York Rican because I heard Puerto Rico in my mind. So yeah, I'm like, yeah. Really? I'm a Virginian, not okay. a Virginia. So, so, so I feel you. I feel you. If you said Virginia, I've been all over you. I'm like, that's messed up. But when you're in those spaces where you're that are rich with a lot of different experiences and stuff, you hear stories that are not your stories, but then become a part of your story, right? Because they're now people that you care about. They're now people that have influenced you. They're now part of this larger community. That's the theme of this conversation we've been having. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. I've got a cool, you know, brother that, you know, he's he's gay. He's, you know, Middle Easter. You know, he's this. They're like, oh, I didn't know people were like that. Right. Mm-hmm. I didn't either. But when you have a larger community, those stories become then part of your story. Your stories become know, part this. of their story. So we started live streaming at New Hope, right? Oh wow! You went, you took it to church? Yeah, bro. Yeah, who you think? <laughs> so we we're live streaming the services at New Hope, and somebody reached out to me. It's like I like what you're doing. Can you help me with my church? And I was like, yeah. So I'm thinking that you know, this is somebody you know in Virginia or whatever. It was a brother in Scotland. Wow! Totally blew my mind because you don't necessarily think of brothers in Scotland, right? <laughs> At the same time, but it's intersectionality, right. right? Right. So, but colonialism, I, colonialism strong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Global reach, right? Exactly. So I hate to do this because I got a, I got another interview coming up, and we're gonna have to. First of all, ma'am, I'm extending an invite right now. You need your own time on my platform, so we're gonna get in touch with you. We're gonna send you what we need to send you. I want to talk to you without this man, huh? without this man right here. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I would love to. So it so it begins. So it begins. The I know. This begins. is my way. Oh my god. <laughs> so with that said, John, this is how I end up all my episodes. If a young John Lewis came to you, asking you for life advice about life, what would you tell him? That's, that's, huh, that I, this is going to seem very hypocritical. Talk less, listen more, do more. I'll take that. I'll take that. And yes, it's hypocritical coming from a man of many words. <laughs> right. <laughs> But again, John, we got to do this again because we didn't even scratch the surface, bro. We, we, we didn't. So so follow, if, if if you're following this man, you can follow us on the trail. We're at uh, emremix.com. That's E-M-R-E-M-X.com. Uh, you'll find all of our social media links. Sean will uh, upload the social media links. And then follow... Chitty MD on all her social media platforms, please. Chitty, tell them where they can find you. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at C H I D I M D. And then I think on Twitter, it's just um, Chitty with an underscore and then MD. Somebody had the original one. So I joined Twitter really late. Um, but yeah, you can follow me there too. And I try to post content basically on my travels and photo shoots that I curate with my husband. Dope pictures. I mean, <laughs> magazine worthy, literally magazine so, worthy. Now she, every now and then she'll try to spit some bars. I got to work on it with that. But the picture <laughs> game, she got it on lot. She got the picture game on lot. So, doctor, what kind of camera do you use? Me? Right now? Uh -huh. Oh, you mean for the photo shoots? Yeah. Oh no, I, I hire a photographer. Oh. oh. She's Nigerian, man. You know, always they got to be next level, man. <laughs> yeah, I was like, wait, what me? <laughs> what camera do I use? No, no, no. Um, yes, I, I do have a camera. It's not a good camera at all. It's actually a vlogging camera. I said I wanted to start vlogging, but that didn't happen. But everywhere, like, this, someone gave me the idea that, you know, when you go on these vacations and stuff, like you should just get a photographer for one, like two, one hour or so, just so you can have like a really dope memories. Because for me, like I'm the person who takes all the pictures. So I've gone on trips and I'm not in any pictures and my husband's like in all the pictures. And so I was like, that's not fair. Oh, so I got a new idea for you. I got a new idea for you. Yes, tell me. I have a camera and I would, won't charge you a dime, but you gotta take me with you. Um, <laughs> I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. No. no, no. <laughs> we'll uh, talk about that. Ladies and gentlemen, I got to wrap this up. Um, they gave you all yours. So now I have completed the major upgrade. So I don't have to tell you all the places to follow me. Just go to 757renaissanceman.com and you can find all the things. Two up, two down. I see you, Camelot in the house. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been another episode of the 757 Renaissance Man. I'm here with Dr. Chitty, that's what I'm going to call you, and Dr. John, and I'm Sean, and we are out. Peace.